0: I remember being in uh, college. I think it was my last year, one of my last years in college, and they opened up a new uh, food place in the cafeteria. So where I, where I went to college, kind of like a lot of colleges, you go to the cafeteria. They have several different stations you can choose from, sort of like a food court in a mall. Um, it was one of the last years they opened up this new place. It was called uh, it was called Pangeo, which I think means the whole world or something like that. Uh, but it was this, this weird kind of food I'd never really had before. But it was like, it was sort of like pasta, but not with pasta. Um, it was like um, like a lot of greens and meat and peanuts and, and stuff like that. It ended up being really good. But I, but I remember the first time I, I, I went and got food from there, um, the lady that was uh, serving asked me what I wanted, and I picked out the dish that I wanted. And so they had a little hot plate sitting there with a skillet in it. And she started piling and piling and piling and piling. Uh, spinach leaves into the skillet, and i would seen my, my grandma cook greens before, like a big pot of greens, you know, um, and so I knew what was kind of what happens with that, um, but this was different because it was just that she was making one one serving, one skillet, and I remember thinking there is no way I can eat all of that spinach, and I think I remember thinking even if I could eat all that spinach, I don't want to eat all that all that spinach, <laughs> right? But she just kept piling it in, into the skillet, uh, and of course you know what happened, right? It all cooked down to where there was not, not a whole lot left. Uh, it was just enough for, for one serving, for one, for one person. And that's what we want to do, that's what I want us to do uh, this morning with the Minor Prophets. We've been, uh, we've been studying the Minor Prophets, preaching to the, to the Minor Prophets now for uh, a, a, over a year, close to a year and a half, and we've gone through each... Um, each of the prophets in detail, um, passage by passage, chapter by chapter, um, book by book, um, and it, it, it's it's kind of like we've been walking through them, kind of looking at at all the details. And so, what I want us to do this morning is 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 kind of like a flyover, right? And so, we're not going to be looking at all the little details of each uh, of each section, but we're going to get the get the high points, kind of kind of kind of conclude the the series. Um, this way. And so I want to look at, at some of the themes that we see in, in the Minor Prophets if we take them all uh, as a whole. You may have seen in the bulletin that our, our sermon text for this morning is uh, Hosea 1 through Malachi 4. Uh, we're not going to read the whole text, so <laughs> you're, uh, you're welcome for that. Uh, but we are going to look at several passages. Um, I'm going to quote from the Minor Prophets quite a, quite a lot, um, and I'm going to ask you to turn to a few passages, not all of them, um, but I'm going to ask you to turn to three or four passages when we when when we get there. but as as I was thinking about this this sermon, kind of concluding this series, um, there 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 are several themes in the minor prophets that we could have uh, focused on. We could have talked about, right? and And there's so many themes in in reality that um, that we can't really talk about all of them in in one sermon. and so we're we're not going to. But we could look at themes like God's faithfulness to his promises. The minor Prophets are full of, of, uh, of, of reminders that God is going to do what he said he was going to do, even if it may look like um, something different happening right at the moment. Um, one of the themes is the, the expectation or the waiting for God to, to work, for God to do what he says he's going to do, uh, the people longing for. Um, even I think of like some of the Psalms even, uh, kind of the, the, the same ideas as some of the Psalms, that, "How, oh, Lord, how long will it be before you do... What you, what you have promised to do. Um, we could look at themes like God's love for his people, even, even when they don't return that to him, even when they didn't um, honor him as God, he, still, uh, he was still faithful to them as his, as his people, um, and, and that's true for us. Uh, we, could, we could look at the theme of God's sovereignty over history, that things happened the way that God had orchestrated for things to happen, even um, even you know the northern king of Israel, southern king of Judah being taken over by uh, the Babylonians and the Assyrians and, and going into exile, that not being something outside of god 's control, but God using those other nations um, in order to discipline his people and bring them back to him. Um, we could talk about god 's righteousness in in judgment and how he does what 's right and how sin is is a big deal, and he takes it as a big deal, takes it seriously. Um, we could look at, at, at other themes even besides those, um, but we're not going to. We are going to look at four themes this morning um, that I want us to, to kind of highlight. And, and these four themes go together to make one big point, okay? And so I'm going to go ahead and tell you the conclusion right now of, uh, and, and kind of the, the one big point that these four themes are are pointing toward. And so, uh, Pastor Matt this morning preached or, or read from Luke chapter 24, and in, in in the end of that gospel in Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been resurrected and he's there. Um, I think it's in that passage that he's there with his disciples. There's a passage right before that where he's walking with the uh, with some some men on the road to Emmaus. But there's two different passages in Luke right there at the end where Jesus essentially says the same thing to these different groups of people. He says. He he says he begins with the with the the, with Moses, the prophets, and the writings, um, and and he begins to to explain to them all the things that refer to him. And and that's significant that he uses those three divisions or those three things: Moses and the prophets and, and and the writings, because those are the three divisions of the Hebrew Old Testament, of the Jewish Old Testament, the history section. Uh, with with Moses being being the the main one there, the Pentateuch, the first five books, and and some others included in that, and then the prophets, and then the the writings, the poetry section, the Psalms and Proverbs and, and books like that, and Jesus is essentially saying he 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 goes through the whole Old Testament, and he shows the people that the Old Testament is pointing to him, the Old Testament is talking about Jesus, and I want us to see this morning that the the minor prophets are talking to us about Jesus. I want us to see this morning that. The same, the same gospel that we believe today, the same gospel that we proclaim each and every week here um, from our pulpit, is the same gospel that was believed by and proclaimed by the minor prophets, okay? And so we're going to break that down into, into four themes that, that, that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, number one, we're going to see what God is like. Number two, we're going to see what people are like. Number three, we're going to see what God has done. And number four, we're going to see what people must do. What God is like, what people are like, what God has done, what people must do. So first of all, what is, what is God like? And, and I, I think probably the main characteristic of God, of course God is, is, is like several things. There are several different characteristics that, that we could go into about God. But the one characteristic that keeps coming up and keeps being highlighted over and over and over by the minor prophets is his holiness. God is holy. God is holy. He said to be the provider. He said to be the creator. He's said to be sovereign. He's said to be from everlasting to everlasting. There, there are lots of things the minor prophets say about God, but I think one of the main things that, that they say and, and, and where they put uh, kind of their main focus is on God's holiness, that God is holy. And so we read some passages like in Hosea chapter 11, in, in verse 9 and, and in verse 12, both in that chapter, Hosea simply calls God the Holy One. That's the name that Hosea uses for God. He is the Holy One. In Amos chapter 4, verse 2, Amos says that God has sworn by his holiness. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, God is called my Holy One. In Micah chapter 1, verse 2, we're told that God is in his holy temple. They focus on God's holiness, and so we need to ask, um, what does it mean for God to be holy? What, is, what does that word mean? How is it that the minor prophets are are using that word? And and, and I would say there's kind of three three aspects of, of that word or three things that that, that word means. And, and the first thing that the word holy points to, the first thing that God's holiness points to is his purity. God is pure. God is pure. God is good. He has no blemishes at all in his character, in his actions, in who he is, in what he does. God is, is pure. There are no blemishes. He's untainted by sin. He's untainted by anything that's, that's wrong. God is pure. The second thing I think it, it means that God is holy is that he's separate. He's separate. He's, he, he's different. He's in a class all of his own. He's set apart from everything else. He's, he's unique. In, in the true sense of that word, unique, where there's, there's nothing else like him. He's separate from everything else. And then I think a third thing that, that it means for God to be holy, a third aspect of that is that God is, is what we might, I kind of struggle for a word for this, but, but God is sacred. And what I mean by that is that he's, God is not common, right? God is not, is not common. We don't relate to him the way we relate to other people or other things or other situations. God's not, not common. I, I, I talk and relate to my boss at work differently than I talk and relate to friends, right? I talk and relate to older people differently than I talk and relate to people my own age, in, in a good way, not meaning that I'm, that I'm different around certain people, but I have a level of respect for people older than me. I say, yes, sir, I say, yes, ma'am. Um, there, there's a level of deference to, to people older than me that I was taught. I relate to older people differently than people my own age or, or younger than me. I, I talk and relate differently to kids than I do to adults, and and you do as well. And God is is sacred. We 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 relate to Him. We talk to Him um, differently than we relate to anyone else. This doesn't this doesn't kind of get this this point across perfectly, but it. It, it, it makes a point similar. When I was when I was growing up, my grandmother on my mom's side, my grandmother Henson, had uh, you know we'd go to her house and, and and you'd come in the back door. We always came in the back door where the carport was, and uh, we had the the um, utility room with the laundry and all that stuff. We went into the kitchen and there was a big room off the kitchen that everyone you know watched TV in. And there was a big console uh, record player that my granddad would play records on sometimes, the the Purple People leader and stuff like that for us when we were little kids. Um, And and, and we would sit there, two recliners, a couch, and and, and that was kind of the main room. And then we went down the hallway, there's a bathroom, some bedrooms, but there was another room on that hallway um, and there was a front door to the house that came into that room and that was the living room. But I was hardly ever allowed to go into that room. I I never really saw the inside of that room because it wasn't a room that was used. It was a special room that was set apart, that was different from the rest of the house and I don't know why because we've literally never, never used it. The only, I remember seeing the inside of it a couple of times. One time was at Christmas when they had gotten my sister and I a, a bike for Christmas, and they hid it in there and then brought it out when it was time to, to open presents because they couldn't wrap it up. They'd already put it together. When I, I think I was in third grade, uh, third or fourth grade, when my grandparents built a new house, um, and I'm 39 right now, and I was, I guess, 11 or 12 then, and I've never been in the living room of, of the new house. Never even seen it, never even seen the door opened, right? And I don't know why that is, but that's how she is. That's how she grew up. For whatever reason, that's how it is, right? That room is is set apart and and, and different from the rest of the house. It's not to be used the way the rest of the house is, is to be used. To my memory and to my knowledge, it's not to be used at all. Um, there's I mean there's there's furniture and stuff in there, I think, but but it's but that's set apart, right? And 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 God is 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 that way. That's an imperfect analogy, but but God is that way. He's He's different. He's to be thought of differently. He's to be treated differently. God is God is holy. Uh, another aspect of, of of what God being holy looks like or or means is, is illustrated in the in a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. Some of you may be familiar with the the Chronicles of Narnia books. Um, it's, if you're not, it's a, it's a series of books that C.S. Lewis wrote for children, but it, they're really good for adults, too, and it's this, this made-up world where the animals talk, and, and some of the animals talk and, and, and walk around and things. Um, and and in, in this world, there's a, there's a lion named Aslan, and, and Aslan is, is Jesus. Okay, He's telling the this, this story of the gospel, story of Jesus, and Aslan the lion is, is Jesus. And, and there's a part of the story where these, uh, these humans, the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, they're called humans, um, through a magic door, through a magic wardrobe, get into this world, okay? And then that's kind of where the story starts. And so when they first get in there, one of the kids' names is Lucy. She's a, a young girl. Um, and and they're, at the, they're at the house of the beavers, okay? They've just gotten into Narnia. They've met the beavers. And, and listen to this conversation. They're talking about Aslan. The, the, these kids, Lucy and the other kids, have, have not met Aslan yet. They've not met the, the Jesus figure yet. But listen to the conversation they have. They're talking to the to the beavers, And so Lucy asks, is he a man? Because they're talking about him, and they're saying some kind of weird stuff. And so Lucy says, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then isn't he safe, said Lucy? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. There's an aspect of God's nature where God is not safe. If, if, if we approach God, as Miss Bieber says in the story, if we approach God and our knees aren't knocking and there's not a level of respect and there's not a level of, 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 of dread and, and, and fear that goes along with that in, in, a, in a right sense, in a good sense, as she says, we're braver than we ought to be or we're just silly, Right? One of the main themes that the prophets want us to know about God is that God is, is holy. Second thing they want us to know is is what people are like. What is God like? God's holy. But are, what are people like? Well, just like we talked about with God, there's there's lots of different things they could have said about people and, and, and several things that they do say um, about people, you know, we're we're made in God's image. Uh, we're the we're the pinnacle of creation the the height of creation created on the on the last day the other parts of creation seem to be created for us. people are creative like god we we create things and and make things um, we're We're diverse but also there's unity among people we're we're different sizes and different ages and different from different places and speak different languages and and all those kind of things and and yet there's a unity we're all we're all human, we're all people. There, there's lots of different things that, that, um, that the prophets could have, could have said about people and do say about people, but just like they focus on one aspect of God's character, his holiness, they also seem to focus on one aspect of, of people's character, one aspect of man's character. The, the main thing I, I believe the prophets want us to know about their, their hearers and their readers and, and us, the one thing that they want us to come to terms with about ourselves is that we are not holy. God is holy. We're, we're not holy. We're not holy. And think about the three things I said holiness means. right, Purity, uh, separateness and, a, and a sacredness or, or reverence. We're not holy. We're not pure. The prophets tell us over and over and over that we're not pure. In Hosea chapter, chapter 13 he says that, that, that people sin more and more. We're just adding to it, adding to it, adding to it. Sin more and more. Hosea 4.8, he says that they're greedy for their iniquity. Greedy for their iniquity. Not only do people sin, but people like to sin and, and, and are greedy for, for that. In Amos chapter 5, he says their sins are many, but he also says their sins are great. Their sins are many and their sins are Great. In Micah chapter 7 he says there's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood and each hunts to the other with a net. There's none righteous, none upright. Most often in in the minor prophets this sin is exemplified by idolatry. Uh, The the prophets point out that that, that God is faithful to us and and yet we're not faithful to him. In Hosea chapter 4 verse 12 he he says that, that people have left God to play the whore. He uses that language. And his point is that, that God is faithful to us the way that a husband will be faithful to his wife and yet we're unfaithful to God the way that a prostitute will be unfaithful to her husband. Later in Hosea chapter 8 he says that they've multiplied altars for sinning. Multiplying altars, worshipping more and more and more different and different different gods. And we're often guilty of idolatry today, even, even now. You know, we don't bow down to, to stone things or, or wood things. I don't think any of us do. But we do place other people and other things above God. He says they say that we're not holy. This also means that, that we're not separate. Often there's, a, there, there's very little difference between those who, who claim to follow the Lord and those who don't. Do you look different from the world, or are you pretty well conformed to the world? Do you value the same things that the world values? Do you find the same things important that the world finds important? Do you have the same desires that the world tells us to have? Do you have the same goals that the world tells you to have? How do you use your time? How do you use your money? How do you use your, your gifts and your, and your talents? How do you treat people? How do you think about people? How do you think about yourself? How do you speak? How do you act? Are you more influenced by the world or are you more influenced by the Lord and what he's revealed in his word? God is separate, wholly, wholly different than what's, what's around him. And I wonder if we are Holiness, I said, also means that that there's a, a reverence, a, a sacredness to God, and, and often we're not reverent. Often we don't revere God. I wonder if you, if you do. In Hosea chapter 13, Hosea says that the people in that time had forgotten me. He said they have forgotten me, the Lord. Wonder how often we find ourselves in 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 life haven't really even been thinking about the Lord. When I was making this decision, or when I was. In the middle of this action, the Lord wasn't really on my mind at all. I'd kind of forgotten him. Habakkuk chapter 1 says that their own might is their God. I wonder how often we trust in ourselves more than we trust in God. So the, the result of this is that, that God is holy. He does what's right. And, and part of him doing what's right, part of his holiness is that he has a, a right response to sin. Includes a right response to sin. God, God abhors sin. God hates sin. And, 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 and God won't stand by and just allow sin to be not dealt with. Amos chapter 8 says, on that day, on the day of judgment, when, when, the judge, when, when God comes in judgment, he says, on that day there will be a famine of the word of God. Part of God's judgment against sin is that he's going to remove himself from people. Zephaniah chapter 2 says the Lord will be awesome against them because of their sin. God's holy in in all that that entails. We're not holy. And and that creates a problem between us and God. And, And God will deal with that. It has to be dealt with. So first of all, what is God like? Second of all, what are people like? But third of all, what has God done? And, and what I'm saying, what has God done, obviously from the, or maybe not obviously, but from the perspective of the minor prophets, it will be what will God do, right? They're looking forward to what God's about to do. We're living some uh, hundreds, thousand, uh, a thousand years or so after them in some cases, and so we're looking backwards. What, what has God done? They're looking forward. What, what will God do? But we're told that God's going to come in judgment. The prophets are full of warnings of, of, of the coming judgment against sin, and so I wonder, is there any way to avoid it? And the answer to that question the prophets give us is yes and no. Is there any way to avoid this judgment that, that, that's coming? Their answer is, is yes and no. First of all, they say in Hosea chapter 5, he says, he says, "...their deeds do not permit them to return to the Lord, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord." It's a bad situation, right? And, and part, of, part of what makes it so bad is that it's the spirit of sin is within them, right? It's not just something that happens outside of us. It's something that's that's inside of us. It's a, a, a bad, hopeless situation. He says that they are not permitted to return them to, to, to the Lord. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. It's a bad situation. I want you to turn with me to Micah chapter 7, if you would. Micah chapter seven. This is one of my favorite passages in the Minor Prophets. One of my favorite passages in the in the Old Testament. Micah is kind of right in the middle of, of the uh, Minor Prophets. It's right before Nahum, right after Jonah. Chapter seven is the 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 last chapter in in Micah. We'll start reading in verse 7. What he's talking about here is that Micah's saying that, that his enemies are coming against him. In the book of Micah, Micah is the prophet that, that's sending this message to the people. The people are not wanting to hear the message that Micah's sending and so they're, they're against him and they're, they're coming against him. Look at verse 7 if you're there. He says, but as for me I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemies. When I fall, I shall rise. There is, there is a fall, right? There is sin there. But he says, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. And listen to this. Until he pleads my case, or until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. There's something really, really neat here, really, really interesting, really, really in, encouraging here. A, a couple things. First of all, we would think if God is the judge and, and Micah is, is, is not holy, there's sin there that has to be dealt with, you would, you would think that, that, that God would be the one who, who brings the cause against him. But that's not what it says. It says that God will plead my cause. And then look at the end of, or the, kind of the middle of verse 9, he says, he, until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. It should say, from what we've been saying so far, right, it should say until he executes judgment against me. Right, Because God's holy, God's righteous, God does what's right. And so if God is a good judge and a right judge, then, then when this case comes before him, if we're thinking about it in like a, like a courtroom-type type situation, when this case comes before him, Micah is guilty. We've already said that he can't come back, right? Already said their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Micah's guilty, his deeds don't, uh, don't permit him to return to God. And so it should be that God's going to execute judgment against him. It doesn't say that. It says, he's going to execute judgment for me on my behalf. It's a bad situation because we can't come back to the Lord. We're not permitted to return to the Lord. Our sins separate us from God and we can't come back. But listen to what Hosea says later in chapter 12. He says, so you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. It's true, we can't come back. Our our, our sin separates us from God, and we're not permitted to return to God if we're trusting in our own strength. He says we can return to God with the help of God. We can return with the help of your God. Zephaniah, in chapter 2, he says, God will be mindful of them, and God will restore them. Zephaniah chapter 8, or I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 8 He says, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Zechariah chapter 9, on that day the Lord their God will save them. So we can't come back to God trusting in our own strength, but but we're told here that God will save us, that God will bring us back, that with God's help we can come back. Micah tells us that God will execute judgment for us, not against us. But how does does this happen? Turn with me, if you would, to Zechariah chapter 6. is a couple, a couple books past Micah. Look at Zechariah chapter six. I'm gonna start reading in verse nine. He says, the word of the Lord came to me, take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go to the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown. And set it on the head of Joshua, whose head do crowns go on? The kings, right? Kings wear crowns. Look at this though. Set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne and listen to this, there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both, between the, the kingship and the, and the priesthood. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, Judiah, and Hinn, the son of Zephaniah. What, what Zechariah is prophesying is in, in Israel you had these three offices, right? You had the prophet that spoke on behalf of God, you had the priest that represented the people, and you had the king that, that ruled over the people. And Zechariah is saying that there's there's a day coming. We're looking backward to it, they're looking forward to it. There's a day coming when those two those two offices, the, here the the, the priesthood and the kingdom, the, the kingship are mentioned, will be united in one person. And that one person will build his temple. We know that person to be Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is the high priest that offered a better sacrifice. God's going to do it. He has done it from our perspective, and the way he did it was through Jesus. At the end of Zechariah in chapter 12, he says that God will protect during judgment. It's not that judgment's not going to come. Judgment is going to come, but he says God will protect during judgment. It's it's not that God's just going to pass over sin. God will judge sin in his holiness. He's going to remain holy, but the judgment will fall on Jesus, not on his people. Just as the angel of death traveled through Egypt at the Passover and he passed over the houses that were covered by the blood of the uh, of the lamb on the doorposts, there's a judgment coming, but when it comes, that judgment will pass over those who were covered in the blood of Jesus. Well, is this automatic? Does it just happen for, for everyone? Or what is it that people must do? Well, it's not automatic. Turn with me, the last passage we'll, we'll look at, turn to me to Joel chapter, chapter 2. chapter 2 verse 12 to 14. He says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. It's true that God is holy. It's true that God deals with sin. It's also true that God is gracious. It's also true that God is full of mercy. It's also true that God is slow to anger, that He's abounding in steadfast love. It's also true that God calls, Return to me with all your heart. If we hear that call, if we obey that call, he will receive us. There's no hope in ourselves, no hope in yourself at all. You cannot return, right? But you can return with the Lord's help. Hope is found in God through Jesus. We're about to sing a final hymn, a final song for today. As we do, there's going to be a time for you to to respond. If you have not ever returned to the Lord, do so. The prophets say that if you turn to him, rend your heart, not your garments, if you turn to him in repentance, he will hear your cry. He will receive you. God is patient, right? Joel just said so. God is patient. But his patience doesn't last forever. Make no mistake, the the, the day of judgment is coming. Let's seek the Lord today while he may be found. While he's ready to receive in his mercy, and in his forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful to you this morning that your word is true, and God, we're thankful that you've given it to us. God, we confess with the prophets, we are not holy. We do not measure up to the standard of, of your holiness, of your goodness, of your righteousness, of your purity, your separateness, your sacredness. God, we confess with the prophets that we are not able to return to you. There's nothing we can do in our power to get back to you. And yet, God, we also confess with the prophets that you are merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and that you have made a way to bring us back to yourself through your power, not ours. God, we thank you for Jesus, that you sent your son, Jesus, that your judgment against our sin has come upon him. God, I thank you that because of that, you're able to execute judgment for us, not against us. God, I pray this morning your Holy Spirit is is working here among us. I pray if there are people here who have not believed in Christ, whose sins have not been forgiven, I pray that that would happen today, this morning, right now. God, we pray that you would do it.